Time to talk basketball now with Steve Cleveland. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lisa any handset, get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, was it a relief to have like 48 hours without massive NBA news? Just not have that <laughs> adrenaline rush when you looked at your phone? Well, you know what? Uh, I, I enjoyed it because uh, what filled in for it was uh, Wimbledon. <laughs> so I'm a huge Federer fan, and uh, it was very difficult for me. The problem is I found out who won that thing, and then it was really difficult for me to watch it. But I love watching tennis, so that's a great fill-in for the NBA. So obviously the big thing this most recently, the biggest thing is the Westbrook-Harden combination in Houston. So you get two ball-dominant guards, and they're going to try to make it work. And interestingly, you know, D'Antoni's had the reputation of being an offensive guru in the NBA, and when he has good guards, his teams usually win. What was your first reaction when you thought, how are these two going to be able to mesh? You know, initially, I was as probably surprised as anyone, and I thought he was going to go to into Miami or you know a couple of other places. Um, that that being said, uh, the dysfunction there with Harden and Paul, you start thinking through it, and it kind of makes sense. I, you know, I don't know exactly today exactly how they're going to do this. I mean, I think they'll look differently than they look today. There'll probably be some adjustments. Um, I'll tell you what, though, um, I, I don't mind having Russell Westbrook on my team. I mean, he is so competitive. And uh, yeah, I know he did not shoot the ball well last year. There have been years that he shot it well enough. And I think that uh, they're, they're going to be a handful. I mean, I mean, you just can't put someone like that in. I mean, these are really good coaches and really good players that are around them. Uh, you've got a, an increase of intensity and energy and ability to defend the ball. You've know, you got Capella who can protect the rim, Tucker, Rivers. Those guys are all guys that are pretty tough guys. So they've got a, they've got a group that's really aggressive defensively um, that can create their own shots. I mean, I don't know exactly how they're going to do it, but uh, it'll be fun to watch and see how it develops. And uh, I, know, I know everybody is kind of feeling like, well, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. I, I'd be careful before we, until we see them in the preseason and see maybe what kind of adjustments they made. So uh, I think Houston will be better with Westbrook than Chris Paul. I can tell you that. that, that, that is, I have, uh, that's a much better team with him, regardless of what, how they struggle offensively or what they figure out than with Chris Paul because there was so much dysfunction there won't be the locker room issues they had last year. They also got younger. Uh, they got taller. They got more athletic. So there's a bunch of positives there. But Westbrook has shot 29% from three for the last five years. And so the whole three and D thing, and when it comes to analytics, I mean, Daryl Morey and Houston have been on the cutting edge in the league. They've been pushing it as fast as uh, anybody and Westbrook just seems like he is just not suited to be spotting up next to James Harden. At all. I think Harden ought to have the ball because it seems crazy to take the ball out of his hands, but Westbrook with the ball and Harden spotting up seems a little more logical. I mean, obviously the game's going to flow and it's going to work both ways. It isn't going to be just one way. But does it seem like Westbrook should defer to Harden and yet he shouldn't because he ought to have the ball in his hands because he didn't shoot the three that well? You know, I, I think that's a great point. Um, and I am not so sure that if I'm coaching this team that, you know, you're going to have a couple, two or three different approaches offensively in terms of how you're going to play this out. But 
but certainly Westbrook's ability to get to the rim um, and and finish at the rim versus you know Harden, who just can do everything around the rim and and, and poses such a threat. I'd start with Westbrook. I think I, I would put the ball in his hands, and 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 it may be a, one of those situations, especially in transition, that whoever has it, go with it. And, you know, the other one spots up. And, and I don't think Russell Westbrook's going to start settling for threes. Um, but I don't think – I think you have a really powerful transition basketball team here on misses and turnovers. You can finish with two guys that can really handle it and finish around the rim. I put a lot of pressure on people in the half court, which games were won, especially late in the year where people make you play in the half court. Um I mean, to start with, I think I'd probably try Westbrook and see how it works. And, you know, it doesn't have to terminate into a three-point shot for Harden. It could be one of those situations where he gets an even better angle and all of a sudden now people can't just play Harden. They will be more difficult to guard. I think everyone initially will probably not guard Russell Westbrook and make you force him to, you know, take the three. We're going to give that up rather than getting up into him and create, allowing him to create for other players on the team. So, um if, if he shoots 32 or 33% from the three, uh, they might win an NBA championship. I mean, they, they have all the other pieces. I mean, Gordon Tucker Rivers has played with a lot of confidence. Green can be up and down. But uh, there's, a, there's a core group there that's had a lot of experience, and, and the only team that's really been able to beat them is Golden State. You think guys now coming in their 30s, are interested in being uh, the man still or the fact that the guy like a Westbrook and even maybe even a younger a guy like a Paul George going to uh, the Clippers, uh, that these guys have made millions of dollars, they've gotten all the fame. Do you think that makes it easier because now it's just about winning because of all the stuff that they've already accomplished? Or do they come in with a thing like, well, wait a second, man, I'm not going to back away from my game because I am accomplished. Well, between social media and the normal media and, every, and just the world itself, everything is about winning a championship and whether you have a ring or not have a ring. And that, that seems to be, at least at this point in time, is, is the way people are defined. And, and I, I don't think most of the n- normal thinking people that watch this game feel like if you, you, know, you don't have a ring, you are a failure. But there is a great deal of emphasis on winning championships. And, and we've, we've seen that with all the superstars joining one another, everybody trying to put themselves in a position. But I, you know, there's probably never been more parity in this league in terms of the top half of the league. I mean, both, both, I mean, especially in the West, I mean, you, you got four, four or five teams that could win an NBA championship. And I think the Bucks are still going to be pretty good next year. I think Philadelphia is better. And I think Boston will be better without Kyrie. Um, you know, so, there, there is more parity. It's not. It's just not going to be a one-team league where Golden State, if they have everybody healthy, that you probably got to figure they're going to win. That's not the case, and it won't be the case for a few years. So, yeah, I do believe that mindset of a lot of these players now is that I've gotten my money, I put up numbers, I'm, a, you know, they've developed their game, and then the last step is how, how do we go about winning championships? And it seems like the superstars of this league are trying to align themselves with either friends or people they know. To, to kind of pull that off. And when you look at the West, Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Houston, Denver, I mean, Denver just got themselves a lot better as well, picking up Jeremy Grant. That, that, was, a, that was a big get. I mean, all of a sudden, they've gotten a little bit better. Uh, and then when Thompson comes back, you know what? Golden State is still going to be a force to be reckoned with. So 
you got six teams in the West that could win not only win the West, but win an NBA championship. Golden State's not going to win the West, but but at the end of the year, they, they just have to be in the top eight, and uh, who knows what kind of havoc they can wreak. So uh, never has there, like I remember, in the last 20, 30 years, been so much parity. Steve Cleveland joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Uh, a lot of teams made moves, big trades for the, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Jazz. Denver's moves were not nearly as splashy, and there really weren't that much done in Denver either. But you don't necessarily need to do a lot when you're as good as they were and you had a 22-year-old and a couple of 24-year-olds. How much do they improve just because they're a year older, they're a year closer to their prime, and they've played together for an extra year, and they got that playoff experience under their belts. Well, I, I think I think they are going to be better, and I think that play, like you just said, that playoff experience. Um, you know, they're, they're not a team that has a lot of guys that can go one on one and and create off the dribble and make baskets. You know, in, in that setting, but they are the most disciplined basketball team in the NBA. I mean, they run their stuff and they run everything through Jokic and. and They've got shooters, and, and certainly uh, Murray and Harris and, and, and those guys are going to be better. They, they're gonna, they've gone through the experience. They've got a great fan base. Uh, they're not just going to go away. And that's a tough place to play at altitude as well, much like the Jazz, uh, and they're really well coached. So, uh, again, I don't think any of us right now, when you start looking at those top six teams, you could place them anywhere where you want to place them. And, I, and I, we all believe that the Jazz – you know, have gotten certainly much better. And uh, kind of cool to see Nigel Williams-Goss sign a little contract from Gonzaga. I always enjoyed watching him play, and that'll give him a little more depth at the guard position. Um, but the Jazz have superstar talent, and, and but the, their coaching and the sum of the parts has been what's kept them, I think, where they have been able to really compete. Next level, we'll see if they can get to the next level now where they're in the top two or three. And, uh, but it's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but I like Denver and uh, I like how they work through Jokic. And, and I do love how the fact that they have young talent and they're together and they're very, very well coached. Yeah. It would be a matter of the situation, you know, the jazz, they're not getting necessarily the hype when it comes to adding two guys, the two stars at the top, like the both LA's and now Houston. But when you look at it, you know, they can have maybe three or four guys that can be better than your three or four guys. Is that the way you see them being able to achieve what they're hoping to achieve this season? That's exactly it. I mean, I, I think you look at this entire team and this entirety, the sum of all of them is, is, is stronger possibly, therefore is stronger than the, than the powerful two that the Lakers might have or the Clippers might have. And, and I think the one thing the Jazz have demonstrated is they have a system, and I think that offensively the system they've had has required additional shooters. I think they've filled that need. Um, you know, you can run the greatest stuff in the world, but if you don't have guys that can make baskets, uh, it, it doesn't work. And I think they did address that by bringing Bogdanovich in, and uh, and I think that, you know, it, it, it's the Jazz aren't going to get to an NBA Finals or win the West unless they all play really well. You know, and I mean, their margin for error is a little bit less than than uh, than when a LeBron or AD or Leonard and George. I mean, they're even Harden and Westbrook, who guys who have been doing it year in and year out. But together, you know, obviously chemistry and culture and sharing the ball 
and and a, and a work ethic. There, there's enough talent there to, to to win the West, but everything has to work well, and they can't have injuries. And uh, and 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 I don't think. I mean, you've got Exum, who is really kind of an unknown. O'Neill had his moments last year, but it, it'll be really important to see what happens with, with the end of that bench and who develops and who gets better, because that's going to be a big part of what they're doing throughout the course of the year as they give rest to the starters. And, and then at the end of the year, who who's going to be that sixth or seventh guy that actually steps up? I don't think we really know who that person's going to be right now for the Jazz. Uh, but they're better, and uh, but unfortunately, so is everybody else. It seems like not only the, the physical talent, but you have to have something driving you. And if Michael Jordan had to make it up, he just did. If it involved using a PK headline, whatever. He'd take whatever he could get. But it seems like this year, guys don't really have to make it up. I mean, a lot of people do doubt whether two ball-dominant guards can coexist in Houston. So there's their motivation. Nobody believed in us. Uh, LeBron had to take a lot of uh, criticism for the last year, the way he dealt with his teammates and organizing the roster. And so he ought to come back with a vengeance. The Warriors can feel overlooked because we are overlooking them because they're not healthy. It seems like there's organic reasons for these guys to be uh, mad at the world. They all have something to prove, and, and that doesn't happen very often. You know, I mean, I think what's motivated Golden State was, hey, we're the best team on the planet. That's what motivates us, and we happen to have the best talent in the league, too. And uh, if they stay healthy, they're going to continue to win. Well, you know, the health part went away, and all of a sudden they weren't what they were. But I completely – I love that thought because LeBron and Anthony Davis have a lot to prove. They've taken a bashing publicly in the last two or three months. You know, certainly Leonard and George, uh, again, coming together, have something to prove – the Jazz are going to have a chip on their shoulder. They're trying to prove that they deserve to be there. And, and you're right about Harden and Westbrook. I, I, I love that thought. And, and uh, I think that, you know, Denver's there. They, don't, they were the second-best team in the West last year, and they know that this conference has gotten better. And, and, and certainly without Thompson, Golden State's going to have to, to step it up early on. But I, I, I agree. Everybody's pretty motivated. I mean, Damon Lillard and – DJ McCollum, they're, they're motivated. You know, they don't get the kind of respect. And getting Nurkic back and getting Whiteside, those are tough places. They're all tough places to play. And uh, so everybody's kind of got a chip on their shoulder. You can go to the East, and the Bucks have something to prove by now getting there. Philadelphia has a lot to prove. Boston, man, they came off a bad year, a lot to prove. So, uh, you know, there's there's eight or nine teams right there that all are pretty motivated going into uh, to the season here in a, in a month or two. And uh, that does play a role in how teams perform and what level they can get to. So from a coaching perspective, which is harder trying to coach? And you, you've been in this situation because you took over a BYU program, which is absolutely awful. And you didn't have a lot of talent the first couple years. But then you got it going and you had talent and the pressure – was enormous. I can remember literally seeing it in your face uh, with the pressure to get to the NCAA tournament. So, which is harder, coaching a team that doesn't have enough talent and trying to win ball games, or coaching a team now that has a lot of talent and trying to live up to that talent? You know, I think on your me- the mental health piece of it, the mental health piece of it is something that uh, it's probably easier to build teams and and to go ahead and 
to go ahead and, uh, you know, try to prove people wrong that we can do this or we can't do this. Uh, I, I think that once you start winning, I think you feel more pressure as a coach than you do when you're trying to build a program. Now, there's a lot of angst that you go through when uh, you, you've got a team that's not very talented and you feel like you've got to coach every play and be involved in every possession. Uh, that takes a toll, too, but I don't think it's near the toll that you get when there is a significant expectation that you need to be in the tournament and win championships and do those kinds of things. So I think the pressure is much more with that expectation. I think as coaches, we're curious people, and, I mean, we're all driven, and uh, there are certain things that uh, drive us crazy and other things that we can put up with. But I love building. I mean, the thing is, most of my jobs from high school, I, I opened a brand-new high school. Junior college, it was a building situation. Uh, BYU, Fresno was the biggest building situation I had. In all of those jobs, you, we knew kind of what we were doing. It was kind of us against the world. And there wasn't a great deal of pressure until you turned them, and then it was. And, uh, and I think that's true at every level. So, But it is, I will tell you this, as you look back and think about the teams that were expected to get to the tournament or expected to win championships and did, that's awful fulfilling. And, uh, and it just makes you feel great about those things. But going through that process, a lot of sleepless nights and uh, you know, just having a pit in your stomach most of the time, that's not a lot of fun, but that's kind of what comes with the territory. So really you want a lot of talent and a good team and nobody realizes it and you know you're going to sneak exactly. up on them and beat them. That exactly. doesn't exist. You see that happening. You know? <laughs> I mean, you get teams like that, you know, where you feel like, hey, baby, he really overcoached this group. And uh, then they go, well, you know what, he had three all-leaguers. <laughs> maybe, maybe this wasn't that re- much of a rebuilding job, but it is fun. And uh, – I, I know some of the greatest experiences and stories I tell in my life to my kids and my grandkids will be some of those moments that uh, in each of those schools where against all odds, you found ways to, to win a game. You know, I'm the first one to come to my mind is that New Mexico that first year, 17,000 people, we go in the pit and beat a ranked team was, you know, not a very good team. And that will always be one of those great memories. And every coach has those. Uh, but, there's also great memories that come from when expectations are high and you fulfill them. Well, Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Thanks. Have a great week.